We're going to find ourselves in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 12. And all of the message of the book of Ecclesiastes is how to live life wisely. Not to be a wise guy, that's a completely entirely different sermon. I would be really good at that one, I think. How to live life wisely. Now, here's a little known secret. If you want to live a, a, learn how to live life wisely, there's just going to be a couple teensy-weensy little bitty challenges. You know what they are? The Bible says that one of the realities of life is we constantly have to fight sin and temptation. Every day, every moment, sin and temptation will be a reality dangled just in front of you. Say, hey, don't you want a piece? Don't you want a bite? Don't you want just a little bit? It's constant. You will never be done fighting sin and temptation. But there's a second challenge to living a life of wisdom. You know what it is? It's the biggest challenge there is. The biggest challenge to living a life of wisdom is you. Me. I am my own biggest obstacle to living a life of wisdom. And here's the thing that's really strange. I kind of made the joke this morning that you guys are only going to get the second point to the sermon because the, the first point was applicable to the senior adults in our first service. And so y'all need to come to both services to get them both. That's not true, but you'll see as we walk through the passage, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of truth to this. Here's the thing that's really odd. At the ages that all of you are, you've probably not experienced enough of life to have really high highs and really low lows. You haven't had tons of successes. You haven't had any really challenging obstacles. One of the reasons you are your biggest challenge to the life of wisdom is you kind of have to live life to accumulate wisdom, right? You're not born with it. It's the accumulation of both positive and negative experiences. And if the biggest challenge has been a 12th grader stuffing you in a locker at school, let's just say there's a lot bigger challenges coming down the road. Last week in Ecclesiastes, Solomon's kind of wrapping up his, his whole story about life is just so brief. It seems so futile. It's so fleeting. And he said that you're supposed to, in light of the futility of life, work hard, even though there's things that you don't know. Which, which investment is going to pay off? Just, you don't know, so work hard. But today, Solomon gives almost completely opposite advice. And he says, there are some things that you can know. There are some things that you'll put your hand to that you don't know if they will work out or not. But you can know. Two things, you will get old and you will die. As a matter of fact, I don't know about you, I'm a year older than I was last year. How'd that happen? I don't have to do anything. And so here's the challenge. If you live long enough, if you live long enough, you will begin to slow down. Believe me, I'm starting to experience a little of that. Some of you in your 20s and your teens, you're like, oh, I'm bulletproof. You live long enough, you will begin to slow down. You know what happens after you slow down? You begin to break down. Nothing glorious about it. It's just the facts of life. There is no beauty secret. There is no human growth hormone. And there's not enough Rogaine in the world to stop what's about to happen to you. You don't have to choose for your hair to go away, Henry. It's not a conscious choice. I mean, you might go to the barber and have a conversation. And so here's, here's the question 
that I think Solomon is asking in, in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. How will you live wisely when it comes to aging? Because it's coming. I mean, it's not coming, it's here. Every single one of you are older than you were a year ago. How are you going to handle aging? Let me just make two, two comments in passing. Number one, I think as a church, part of our discipleship has always got to, to be to get people prepared for the next step, right? So right now, I have the privilege. I've got three couples that we're going through premarital counseling with because we're trying to get them ready for the next step. Why do we have a youth ministry? To get teenagers ready for the next step. Why do we have a senior adult ministry? To keep retired people busy? To prepare them for the next step. That's pretty sober. That's pretty real. And the truth is, part of our discipleship is always being ready for how we'll handle aging. And I'll just make a comment. In America, I don't think the church does a good job of helping teenagers to grow up. I don't think the church does a good job of helping senior adults to deal with aging gracefully and faithfully. So that's what he's going to talk about today. We'll begin in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And the teacher, Solomon, makes a passionate plea for people to turn to God before it's too late. Basically, here's what he says. Make sure to remember to bow before you break. To bow before you break. Look at verses 1 through 8 with me. So, that's a connecting word connecting it to what we'll look at in just a few minutes in 11, 7 through 10, 12, 1. So, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Get your stuff with God right early. You know why that's so important? Young people, if I can get you to listen to this, it will start you, I can't make you take your vitamins, eat your greens, but if you will listen to this, it will put you on a path to wisdom that most of your contemporaries don't have. Why do you need to get right with your creator in the days of your youth? Because you need to do it before the days of adversity come. And the years approach in which you will say, I don't like these so much. I don't delight in them. Before the sun and the light are darkened and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain, on the day when the guardians of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, And the women who grind cease because there's so few of them. And the ones who watch through the windows see dimly. The doors at the street are shut and the sound of the mill fades. And yet one rises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song grow faint. Also, they are afraid of heights and dangers on the road. The almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper loses its spring. And the caperberry, it has no effect. For man is headed to his eternal home. And the mourners, even now, will walk, are walking around the street before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the jar is shattered at the spring and the wheel is broken into the well and the dust returns to the earth as it once was and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. Well, doesn't that just cheer you right up? He uses this incredible analogy to talk about the reality of aging. And so he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of adversity come. Now, there's no doubt on Wednesday night we're engaging in a study that's talking about um, martyrdom. And over the last hundred years, there have been more Christians killed for their faith than the previous 1,900 years combined. Now, did you get that? Like, I'm not good at math. But the previous 1,900 years... 
have not amounted to the number of Christians that have been martyred, killed for their faith, as there has been in the last 100 years. When he says the days of adversity are coming, so remember your creator. He's not talking about persecution. You know what the adversity is? Old age. That's the adversity that's coming. And he says, you've got to remember your creator. You know why? Because things are about to get tough. You're going to have a full-time, when you get retired, you're going to have a full-time job going to the doctor. That's what happens. And so he doesn't just say it. Getting old is tough. He pictures it. And he gives this extended analogy in verses 2 through 7. And basically, here's what he's saying. There are a lot of things about aging that just are not going to be fun. Anybody here want to give that an amen? There's a few people here that will say, hey, it's not. wisdom is great. Looking back and having these memories are great. But I got, I got sick with whatever this junk is that's going around on December 27th. Today is January 28th, and this is the best I've felt in a month. I'm 44 years old. It's not supposed to be like this yet. And from what I hear, it doesn't get better. Like, you just get a cold, and you're out for like a month. What is up with that? <clears throat> not fun. We have the opportunity last night. I'm picking on my family. I don't have permission to share this. We're going through old family videos. And we see our kids when they were so young. And now they're snotty-nosed teenagers. What happened? Life just happens so quick. And so he begins this analogy in verse 2 by talking about a darkening that happens. He says, the sun and the light, it goes away. He's not talking so much about our vision as I think he is about our minds. There's just something that that happens that we call a senior moment where you know that you know this. It's just for the life of you. You can't remember what it is that you need to tell somebody. It's a senior moment. Our mind starts to get clouded up. It's just a little dark. It's just a little foggy. It's just a little cloudy. Anyone figure out that your memory isn't quite what it used to be? I hope that that's not for you. My mind's a little cloudy. He goes on and he talks about these guardians start to tremble. Well, who are the guardians? The guardians are your hands. You start to get the shakes a little bit. You know, and, 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 and the hands that so reasonably brought food to your mouth, now you can't keep your food on your fork. The hands that were able to labor and earn your keep and protect you, something's going on, well, they're no good anymore. The guardians, they tremble. He says the strong men, uh, the strong men stoop. Now, your legs don't stoop, but it's definitely thinking of something in the plural. It's not strong man, it's strong men. I think what he's talking about is our shoulders. When you're young and you can, you can fit into those skinny jeans, put those shoulders back, you know, stand up tall, that's a little, that itself is exercise when you get old. Because the shoulders just start to stoop a little bit. And here's the deal, okay? This is real life that we're talking about. This is not fantasy land. And Solomon is not making fun of this. He's experiencing it. He's saying it's part of life. Like, who, who cares how fast you ran the 40-yard dash when you were 18 years old? You know, now if you can do it in five minutes, that's, that's an accomplishment. That's great. You know, things start to slow down and your, your back, your shoulders, your strong men, they start to stoop. The women who grind at the mill, they just stop because there's not enough of them to get the job done. You know what that is? It's your teeth. Now, unless you happen to be from West Virginia, most of you have your teeth. Okay, you go back 2,000 years ago where they don't have modern dental work, what happens the older you get? 
own dentures. <laughs> they, they don't have anything for you. The older you get, the more your teeth fall out. And so, like, we joke about having to eat mushy food. It's not a new problem. You've you got no teeth. You're, you're eating mushy food back then. The teeth just start to go. You start to look through the window dimly. He's talking about your eyes. Your vision is just not quite the same. It says the doors are shut up. Um, I don't know if you have kids that like to listen to music, but it's like they turn up the volume and they open the door. I don't want that. Shut the door and listen to your music, and, and now other things can happen in the house. And he says there's something really weird that happens when you get old. You can't hear in a conversation, huh, huh, what'd you say? But yet a bird will chirp in the morning and it'll wake you up. How frustrating does that have to be? Everything is dull, but that little bitty bird will wake you up. This is all the daughters of song, they just disappear. That beautiful baritone voice that you had in your 20s, 30s, and 40s gets raspy. And you can't belt out one verse of a worship song without hacking, clearing the throat, dealing with something here. It's a problem. He goes on and says that there's dangers on the road. Where is that? Verse 5, they're afraid of heights and they're afraid of dangers on the road. Listen, that sounds like something happens in our senior adult Bible study. I don't, church is wonderful I did, if I didn't have to drive here. We have church conference at 5 o'clock tonight. That's too late for some of our senior adults because by the time it's 6 o'clock, it's going to be dark and I've got to get home and I don't want to drive. Well, here's what they're talking about here. It's most likely a reference to worshiping in Jerusalem, which if you live in the Holy Lands, Jerusalem is up from wherever you are. It's a high point. And so you have steep roads, dangers of heights, and on those steep roads on the way to the city... If people are riding in chariots or wagons, you have ruts. There's all kinds of trip hazards. And you know, the older you get, the poorer you walk, and there's problems. The almond tree bears fruit. That means your hair turns white. And then he makes this really strange comment about the grasshopper. The grasshopper loses its spring, and the um, caperberry has, has no effect. Has anyone ever heard of Viagra? The caperberry in the ancient world was known as an aphrodisiac. And when he happens to say the, the grasshopper loses its spring, suffice to say that some of the virility that characterized uh, young manhood, that appetite has just gone away. Did I keep that G-rated? Okay, you guys understand where I'm, where I'm going here? He's saying... The grasshopper has lost its spring. You know, you need someone to help you out. Uh, Monty Fickling will be glad to answer your questions. He'll tell you exactly what's going on here. And here's the thing that's kind of funny, okay? And I, I, don't, mean this, I don't mean this in a, a crass sense, okay? What was Solomon's chief downfall? Women. Lots of women. And the Bible does not endorse his polygamy at all. That's not God's ideal. However, because Solomon was a ruler, he would enter into treaties with different countries, and one of the ways those treaties would be sealed would be by marriage. So Solomon had hundreds of wives and thousands of concubines. And I just want you to note the order in which he talks about getting old, okay? My hands are trembling, my ears don't work, I can't stand up straight, I can't taste anything anymore, my teeth have all fallen out, I got no more hair, And now the grasshopper has lost its spring. I'm ready to die. It's the last thing in the list of challenges of getting old. 
And he just says, hey, listen, all of the things that maybe brought you joy, a well-cooked steak, hearing the, the giggle of your kids, intimacy and marriage, all of that desire fades away. It fades away. It says that death is near, and it even says that there's mourners in the street. When you died in the ancient Near East, you would hire professional mourners. They might not even know who you are, but they would wail and walk around the streets because the more mourners you had at your funeral, the more significant you were. And so kind of like the vultures circling the carcass, they know you're about to die, and they're applying for a job. They're lined up out the door. They're ready for this to happen. Life is pictured in verse uh, 6 as a uh, bowl of water, a golden bowl, held uh, in the air by a string. I mean, we all know the life-giving property of water. You can go without food for a while. You can't make it very long without water. So this water that gives life, it says, finally the cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the jar is shattered at the spring and the wheel that works at the spring is broken into the well. It says everything that is necessary to get life, the bowl in your own home is broken, the jar that transports it from the well to the home is broken, and even if you could make it to the well, the well doesn't work. Everything necessary for life to happen, not medically, but all the systems, don't work. So as dust returns to dust, the soul returns to God in verse 8. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. You are tempted in old age to think everything about life was way too quick. Here today, gone tomorrow. <clears throat> there is no denying that facing end-of-life issues can be defeating. So we have to go back to verse 1. And we have to see that the chief virtue directed towards senior saints is to remember. Remember your creator. We just sang about how good God has been to us. Like, can you, can you say that with confidence? That God has been good to you. We just sang a song that said, the very breath that is in our lungs by which we are expelling sound. Who do we get it from? God. The fact that your heart is beating and blood is pumping through your veins and you don't have to think about it. Now that'll freak some of you out a little bit. Like your body works without you being conscientious of it. You are hearing my voice through the miracle of sound waves traveling through, going in your ear, hitting the, hitting the drum and vibrating and you can translate that into something that's intelligent. Life is amazingly complex, and yet it happens without you having to do one ounce of work. God is good. And so he tells us three times, before, 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 remember your creator in the days of youth, before the days of adversity come, before your mind gets clouded, before the cord gets snapped. So what comes before old age? We have to look in front of chapter 12, verse 1, and we see youth, youthfulness. <clears throat> now, I told everyone in the first service, if you go home and put on social media that you went to church and the preacher called you old, you have missed the point of the sermon, okay? That is not it. I'm not calling anyone old, not making fun of anything. So here, I have good news for you. Who is 
a youth. And if we define that in today's terms, it's adolescence. So like from 12, and if you're a guy, to like 42. Um, you know, girls like 12 to 18. Um, guy is something different. Now here, here's, here's the way the Bible would define youthfulness. Not our culture, but the Bible. If you are not dead or actively in the process of dying, you're a youth. Now, you may be on a continuum where the body's not functioning quite the same way that it has, but you're still not in the days of adversity. If you're not dead or dying, you are a youth. And he says, remember your creator when you're young because you just might find it harder to rejoice when you get old you'll get grumpy. If you happen to be a senior saint here today, you know what's funny? Is it's taken you 70 years to get wise, and yet you are so willing to criticize a 35-year-old who's only lived half as long as you and probably doesn't even have quite half the wisdom. If it took you so long to get it, you know what you need to do instead of criticizing? You need to rejoice in the learning process that's called youthfulness. You need to celebrate vicariously because you know what? they have the opportunity to learn from their mistakes, just like you did. And if we could compare apples to apples, maybe your mistakes when you were 35 were worse than theirs. Find a way to encourage each other. And listen, young people, the same way. Hold the door for an old person. Help them up the stairs. Offer to cut their grass, because you know what? Uh, Those strong men are stooping. And they're worried about tripping. And nothing happens easy anymore there's just there's this beautiful way that god has designed us where we need each other old people need to remember what it's like to be young again and you know what some of you need to be prepared for what is coming and it's not going to happen if you don't hang out with older folks so here's what he says remember your creator before the day comes because you might find it harder to rejoice if you've not established that habit in verses 7 through 10 of chapter 11 the teacher encourages the young to rejoice and delight in life. Listen to what it says. Light is sweet, and it is pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember that the days of darkness, let him remember the days of darkness, since they will be many. All that comes is quickly passing. Rejoice, young man, while you are young. And let your heart be glad in the days of your youth, and walk in the ways of your heart, and in the sight of your eyes, But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh because youth and the prime of life are fleeting. What's he saying? Life can be good. Enjoy it. I love the way that he says it. He says, if you live a long time, you should rejoice in every single one of them. So every day that you have life, specifically and particularly You should rejoice in him every single individual day. Every day. Why? He says something really interesting here. He says, you know, enjoy it and remember the days of darkness because they will be many. The days of, especially if uh, uh, our um, life expectancy continues to grow, you know what's going to happen? The days of darkness may vastly outnumber the days of light. You live to an old time. You may have thought you were going to live for a long time, but your body sure didn't. There's a problem. It's a challenge. And so he says, enjoy them all. Because the days of darkness may significantly outnumber the days 
of light. Friends, listen, if you are young, newsflash, you're going to get old one day and there's nothing you can do to stop it. It is inevitable. You can nip and tuck and you can color and you can um, hide wrinkles and you can do whatever, but you, you are, you're fooling yourself. <laughs> Everybody else knows it. You know, it's on your driver's license. You know, you can't hide it. It is coming. So instead of trying to pretend like you're younger than you are, just enjoy every day that God gives you. Rejoice in the goodness that is life. Last week, we were encouraged. In light of just the, the quickness of life, what do we do? And he said, work hard. Well, we see an additional reason why you're supposed to work hard. Because there's going to come a day when you can't do any work at all. You're not going to be able to run the bandsaw. You're not going to be able to swing the hammer. You're not going to be able to see the checkbook. There's going to be a day when you can't do work. So work hard while you have it because a time will come when you can't do a whole lot at all. This is going to sound strange and morose, but contemplating death is a pathway to enjoying life and living wisely. Contemplating death is a pathway to enjoying life and living wisely. Peter, Peter Covey wrote a book in the 80s or 90s called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the uh, habits of effective people is, is what he called to begin with the end in mind. And he, he asks this question. He says, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? And the problem is what you want people to say and what they're actually going to say, you better start paying people now to lie. Because if you know what you want them to say, then you have the opportunity now to start living the way that you want people to eulogize you. Live now with the end in mind. That's exactly what he's saying. Is sometimes when we contemplate the, 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 the fleetingness of life, contemplating that actually helps us to enjoy it and to learn to live more wisely. He goes on and he says, guys, enjoy life. Live life to the full. Give yourself the desires of your eyes, the desires of your heart. But remember God's judgment. It says that in verse 9. God's not present in this extended passage in the quantity of words, but we're told really two remarkable things about God. He is our creator, and he is our judge. Now, when he created you, you were pretty not conscious of the fact. Beginning of your life, you're not even thinking. Life has begun you're not able to reflect when you meet him at the end of life you're fully accountable for everything that you've done in the flesh this whole idea of the theme of judgment is not designed to temper the command to enjoy life he's not like saying hey enjoy life but don't do this 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 that's not what he's doing what he's trying to do is something that's really helpful he's trying to establish the boundaries and if you want to have maximum enjoyment in life, you have to learn the rules of the game. Learn the rules of the game for maximum enjoyment. I have two boys, and I love to, to play with them. And we'll go outside, and we'll play a game that they make up. Make up imaginary games are awesome, <clears throat> except when you think you understand the rules, and then they change them. I caught you. Oh, no, this is home base. What? When did it become home base? Like three seconds ago. Now, that's not fun. Now, there's a, big, there's a big football game coming up sometime next week. If the out-of-bounds and interceptions and all that stuff, if the rules change, nobody would like sports, right? The reason people get paid well 
is they learn the rules and they learn how to function within those rules at a very high level. In the same sense, that's what God is saying about judgment. He's saying, listen, you can enjoy life in a way in which if you enjoy this, if you eat from this tree, there's consequences. If you eat from this tree, there's blessings. So I'm not the sharpest arrow in the quiver. But if I've got a way to enjoy life, one of which results in punishment and judgment, and one of which causes me no regrets in this life or the next, which one do you think is the wisest way to enjoy life? Like, you don't have to be a Christian this morning to say that living God's way really is the best because there's no consequence. It does not make sense. It's not wise to enjoy something that is temporary and fleeting, knowing that you have to pay for it. When God commands you to enjoy life, and can even commend the way that you are enjoying it. Like, that's a good thing. God is not against you, some granddad in the sky that's waiting to throw lightning bolts at you if you screw up. He's saying, enjoy life. Just do it within the boundaries. Fire in the fire pit, awesome. It's contained. Fire outside of the fire pit, call the fire department. Young people, if you can learn to have your value system impacted by the truths of Scripture. You will be light years ahead of learning what it means to live wisely. Listen, are your friends going to encourage you to live wisely? Probably not. Right? If you have a teenage friend who's going to encourage you to live wisely, praise God, that is it. God has given you a tremendous gift. Are you going to learn how to live wisely from your school? Probably not. Are you going to learn how to live wisely from government and politicians? Absolutely not. Let the Bible affect your values. And guys, listen, this is where I see the gospel in this passage. Jesus' name is not mentioned, but we know that Jesus says that he came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. He came to give us a joy that is not just a drop in the bucket, but an overflowing cup. Like, embrace that imagery. He came to give us an abundance of joy and an overflowing cup. And the only way for you to experience this kind of blessing in your life is to do life God's way. And I pray today that if you're not a believer, that God will, however he has to do it, open your eyes, your mind, your heart, to see that living your way is busted, broken, and that he brings you to the end of yourself so that you're you're willing to agree with him. But what the Bible says is sin. It's rebelling against God. It's doing things your own way, not God's way. We're all guilty of that. And if we want to have the abundance and the overflowing joy in life, we have to agree with him, with his definition of sin, and not deal with it on our own. He says the way that he deals with our sin is through Jesus' death on the cross. There's the gospel present here in this encouragement to enjoy life. He says, remove sorrow and put away pain in verse 10. Two more commands. Again, he's saying enjoy the present. There are so many young people that are so afraid of enjoying the present because there's something next. If I can just get my driver's license, if I can just graduate high school, if I can just find a job, or if I can get another job, because I don't like this job, 
if I can just graduate from college, if I can just find like a professional career, if I could get married, if I could have kids, if I could be retired. There's a problem. What's next after retirement? You keep playing the what next game, you run out of options, right? So he's saying, hey, put away pain, get rid of sorrow. I think what he's saying is, don't be in such a rush to grow up. You will have bills to pay for the rest of your life. So enjoy living at home. Just make sure there's an exit strategy, please, by all means. No boomerangs. Go. Be responsible. But enjoy life. Smile more. See God's hand, while it may not be visible to our eyes, see God's hand sprinkled all throughout your day. All kinds of little mini providences that he's provided for you. Enjoy life. In youth, you have all your days ahead of you. And he says, you need to remember, things are not always going to be so easy. They're going to get more difficult. But I think his challenge to young people, for older folks, it's to remember God's goodness all through life. I think for young people, it's to establish this pattern of rejoicing while you're young. Because it will help you to face the adversity of aging more faithfully. There are a lot lot of things about aging that are just not graceful. Falling, forgetting, crashing, falling, breaking stuff. But if you establish a pattern of learning how to rejoice in the everydayness of life, you'll have a smile on your face. You might still have the trembling guardians. You might still have the stooped strong men. You might still have all that stuff. But you can have a smile on your face instead of a perpetual frown. Learning how to live life God's way when you're young will help you to live God's way when you're old. And I close with this. A a, a good admonition for us to remember. It's a verse that we all associate with the Great Commission, but I think it is wisely placed here as a point of application. Matthew, chapter 28, verse 20. Remember, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. You know what that means? It means that we can affirm what the Bible says. That when you were conceived, He knew you. He knit you together in your, your, your mom's inmost parts. When you were born and you came out of the womb, and that first breath that you draw was because He put His breath of life in you. And he celebrates your advent the same way that your mother and your father do. When you come to that point where you're able to understand what life is all about and that you have rebelled against God and that you want to live for him and you as an act of um, the will say, I want to put my faith in Christ. The Bible says that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need it. God is with you, drawing you to himself at that moment. Every single day whether there's light or whether there's darkness, whether it's a mountaintop or whether it's a valley, even the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. When you're young, you have the opportunity to establish an intimate relationship with God that will guide you when you are old. The Bible says, whoever you are, young or old, God is with you always. 
that's not a reason to rejoice, then we're hopeless. But instead, we get to celebrate a God who's not just with us when we're in this building. A God who is everywhere that we will go this week. He's there before us. He's there right now. He's everywhere in his fullness, present wherever we may be. You may not know where your spouse is this week. You might be tracking them. God knows. He's there. And that is why he is worthy of us learning how to do this thing we call discipleship, even with our aging, and learn to do it well. Father, this is, not a, um, <clears throat> this is indeed not a passage I would have chosen to preach. Talking about getting old, it's just not, there's not a lot of fun to even talk about this. But it is something that is inevitable that we will all face. And Father, we come to the point of conviction where we understand that everything that we do, our motivation for living, our attitude when we go through it, is, is worth examining because we want to live lives that are fully centered and focused on you. And you tell us that um, even the things as, as minimal as eating and drinking can be done to the glory of God. And Father, we know this morning, based upon your word, that we can age to the glory of God. We can be teenagers to the glory of God. We can be senior adults to the glory of God. We can face the challenges of midlife to the glory of God. We can stare death in the face to the glory of God, recognizing the good gift of life that you have given us. Father, it's not just the good common graces in life. It's the special gift of eternal life that you give through your son Christ. Father, for that we are most thankful. And we ask that you help us to be circumspect in how we live for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.